1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 699 with Brad Stolberg. Brad is back for his third appearance on the show because he's just so wise. I think about his quote, stress plus rest equals growth, just about every week. And he is back talking about how to have more fulfilling days, redefine success, not crushing your soul. So you'll learn one, the deep rooted belief that explains why we're often dissatisfied, two, the simple secret to feeling more fulfilled every day, and three, the hidden costs of efficiency. So if you want to check out the show notes or the links or things we mentioned, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP699. While you're at the site, check out some of our cool stuff like the gold nugget email summaries, the 10 days of winning at work course, the full text transcripts searchable for all, almost 700 episodes. Good stuff at awesomeatyourjob.com. And here's Brad's story. Brad Stillberg is an internationally known expert on human performance, well-being, and sustainable success. He's the co-author of the best-selling Peak Performance and The Passion Paradox. His work has appeared at the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, LA Times, Wired, Forbes, and more and he's a contributing editor to Outside Magazine. In his coaching practice, Brad works with executives and entrepreneurs on their performance and well-being, and he regularly speaks to large organizations on the topics as well. Big thanks to Brad for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a 1 billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts: 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number 1 in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedincom awesome. That's linkedin.com/b e a w e s o m e, as in you are being awesome, be awesome to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Brad. Brad, thanks for joining us again on How to Be Awesome
0: at Your Job. Hey, Pete. It's great to be talking with you.
1: Oh, yes. Well, I'm looking forward to digging into your latest, your book, The Practice of Groundedness, a transformative path to success that feeds, not crushes your soul. (laughs) I just get a kick out of that subtitle. Feeds, not crushes. (laughs) That's fun. So, yeah, we're going to get there. But first, it's funny. I am prepping for a camping trip, actually. And you are a contributing editor to Outside Magazine, which I have looked at several times. And it seems like you guys always get cool gear sent to you to check out, to test, to review. I'd like to hear if there's been any just straight up silly, ridiculous, noteworthily hilarious devices that have been sent your way in the years you've been doing this.
0: Oh, my gosh. The list is infinite, particularly around so-called wellness products Mm. most of my writing for outside is around health and well-being and the amount of products with such broad claims all containing cbd is just outrageous Mm. you've got cbd for your sore knees cbd for your anxiety cbd for your dog's sore knees cbd for your dog's anxiety (laughs) cbd for your child so, I think we're in like peak c b d wave now, whether or not c b d does any of those things, I can't say i'm I'm quite skeptical, but perhaps more helpful for your camping pursuits. The one device that I find so helpful that so many people often overlook is just a really good light that you can stramp onto your head, so like a headlamp yeah for reading at night without keeping everyone else up, for navigating the campground when it is late or pitch black, and just for getting around. You don't have to find a flashlight. It's just there on your head. So that is my recommendation.
1: Oh, yeah. I sprung for a fancy one. I think it was a black diamond. And yes, it it has served you well. I've fond memories of everyone having their little headlamps on playing cards at night (laughs) on the campsite. It's a fun little picture. Cool. Well, also let's talk about Grounded Disc. What's the big idea behind this latest book?
0: Right. So the big idea is this. If you look at charts showing the performance of the stock market or the national GDP in America, but also in most Western countries, you see a trajectory that looks very good. It is a pretty consistent rise but then if you look at charts of depression, anxiety, loneliness, burnout, you see the exact opposite. You see a pretty steep, inconsistent decrease. So the book asks, how do we reconcile these two things? Yeah, The measures that we have show that people are doing really well in terms of GDP and stock market, but these other measures show that we're not. And I call this problem, or at least the problem is a function of something that I call heroic individualism, which is this notion that the only arbiter of success is external measurement, and it's a constant race for the next thing to constantly one-up yourself, one-up others, and it's like this never-ending game that is very much fueled by consumer marketing to be better, have more, do better, succeed. And it's leaving people feeling pretty miserable. And the solution that I propose is a framework of groundedness, which is based on modern science, ancient wisdom, and concrete practices from individuals who have done well, but more importantly, felt well along the way and had fulfilling lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds lovely. I'd like that. So then it's intriguing. You're right. So one would think... Let in a world in which folks, individuals are wealthier, we ought to be happier and better off. And I guess there's been a host of research on that, which seems to suggest that there's really kind of a, a cutoff point. Like once your needs are pretty well met and, and you're not like worried about, I don't know, housing or food or you can buy the basics that you need to to be fine and not be freaked out. It seems like right around that point you don't get much, much benefit from, from being wealthier is, does that tie into some of this as well?
0: It does. Yeah. There's some research that shows just that, that once your basic needs are met, I throw healthcare in there as well, Sure. but shelter, food, healthcare, that generally speaking, more money is not tied to more health or more happiness. I think if you're a double minimum wage worker, that's working those two jobs so that you can meet those basic needs, then yeah, more money would help. But for the average knowledge worker or business professional, there is hardly, if any, correlation between more money and more fulfillment, more happiness, more health.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. So, with that established, then we're going to talk about groundedness a lot. Could you give us a definition for what is groundedness? What is the opposite of groundedness? And what's that kind of look like?
0: Sure. So the opposite of groundedness is to be pushed and pulled by the frenetic energy and fast pacedness of the culture of your life. So it's to constantly feel like you're falling behind, you're all over the place, you're treading water, you're seeking some kind of contentment, you're not sure where to find it. So you don't feel firmly rooted where you are. And as a result, even if you're striving and even if you're successful by conventional standards you probably don't feel very good. Lots of people find themselves in this position. Unfortunately, this was true before COVID, certainly true during COVID. And I think a lot of people are now evaluating, hey, as we emerge from this pandemic, how can I craft a life that perhaps feels more wholesome and more fulfilling? So the opposite of that being pushed and pulled around is being grounded. And being grounded is about being firmly rooted where you are, It is not a lack of ambition or a lack of striving, but it is doing so from a place of having a very solid foundation in place. And what tends to happen to pushers, high achieving people, successful professionals is that once they start to have some success, they often focus on the overstory of the metaphorical tree. So the bright and shiny objects, the next thing, and they neglect the foundation, the core, the trunk, the root system that holds it to the ground. And then whenever rough weather comes, the whole tree is at risk of toppling. So this book says, hey, here's how you build that solid foundation that will support you and hold you through highs and lows. And an outcome of that is not only setting yourself up for success, but also finding some more fulfillment in life and some contentment and not constantly needing to be chasing the next thing.
1: Well, that sounds excellent. It can, can you share us an example of, of that practice, like like someone who, who made the shift, they got extra grounded and, and good things came from it?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's five principles that are really key, I think, to talk about that help take this from something that sounds really good to something that is concrete and achievable for, for so many people. And I'm going to pair each of these principles against the current ethos. So the first principle is to accept where you are to get where you want to go. And the current culture very much encourages magical thinking, delusional thinking, things don't go your way. You're not happy with your circumstance instead of face it. Well, what do you do? You buy something, you numb it with a substance, maybe you go on social media and you post and you tweet, but you're never really fully confronting what's in front of you. And whether things are going well or going not, you have to be where you are, accept what's happening and confront what's in front of you, because otherwise you're never working on the thing that needs to be worked on. The second big principle is cultivating presence so that you can own your energy and attention instead of have it be all over the place. So what is the current ethos all about? It's about distraction, busyness, overscheduling, being everything to everyone, everywhere, all the time groundedness asks you to say, Hey, my presence, my attention, my time is actually my life. That's all that I have. So I need to take ownership of it. I need to be more intentional about how I use it. The third principle is this notion of being patient to get where you're going faster. Again, let's compare this to heroic individualism in the current ethos, which says that you should move fast and break things. You should strive for hacks, for silver bullets, for overnight breakthroughs. What I argue in the book and what the research shows is that all of that tends not to work. And if anything, it sets you back. If you move fast and break things, what tends to happen is you end up broken. So groundedness calls for patience, for giving things time and space to unfold, and for really committing to staying on a path and not getting off and on it and off and on it as the next fad comes out. Mm-hmm. The fourth principle is vulnerability to build genuine strength and confidence particularly with men, but with women as well. The current ethos is very much about invincibility. I think there's a best-selling book by a guy whose last name is ironically Asprey. And the book is called Bulletproof. And there's this whole notion about becoming bulletproof. But humans aren't robots. We're not machines that are hardwired. We're actually quite soft. And the more vulnerable that we can be with ourselves and with others, the stronger and more confident we become because we're no longer hiding anything. When you're not hiding something, then you can really own your strength. And then the fifth and perhaps most important principle is to build deep community. So the temptation is to prioritize optimization, hustle culture, road efficiency, more, more, more. And what often gets cannibalized is the time spent forging a true sense of belonging and community, yet we know what makes us happy, what helps ground us when we soar, And what also provides a safety net when things aren't going well is a sense of belonging to something that's beyond ourselves, to a community, to strong relationships. So those are the five principles that yield this sense of endurance, unwavering strength, ability to be where you are, find fulfillment, and still strive for success.
1: Well, there's a lot to dig into in in each of these. What are some practices associated with accepting where you are, while also not being resigned,'m i like well that's that's who I am that's the way it is. Well, what does that practice of accepting where you are in an excellent way look sound and feel like?
0: I love that you asked that question, so thank you for asking that, Pete, because so many people hear about acceptance and they immediately think passive resignation and the truth couldn't be further from that the best way to move forward into excel to pursue excellence to get better is to start from a place of fully accepting where you are and the reason for this is twofold the first as i mentioned earlier is if you don't accurately appraise your situation whatever steps you take to improve are not going to be the best steps because you're not working on reality The second is you actually want to be pretty confident and content to get better. If you feel the need to get better, the compulsion to get better, if I don't get better, everything's going to go to crap. For most people, that leads to tightness, constriction, fear. If you feel okay where you are, you don't even have to like it, but you just have to be okay with what's happening. Then you can drop your shoulders and you can perform from a place of openness, from a place of love. And most people perform better from a place of openness than from a place of tightness and constriction. Something else that I think is really important to talk about here is this notion of acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a huge part of the book. And acceptance and commitment asks you to do two things. The first, accept where you are, be clear headed about it. The second is to know your core values, the things that define you, that make you who you are, and really commit to practicing them day in and day out. And by merging an acceptance of the current situation with the ability to practice your core values, that's how you get where you wanna go. The final story that I'll tell, it's an old ancient Eastern parable about the second arrow. And this is so applicable to so many people today. So the first arrow you often can't control. This can be an illness, it can be being laid off at work, it can be a global pandemic. The second arrow, your judgments about that situation, your denial of that situation, your fear of that situation, your resistance of that situation, the second arrow often hurts worse than the first arrow. So what acceptance asks you to do is not to be all rosy and deny that there aren't plenty of first arrows, but instead of wasting the time and energy judging it and resisting it and deluding yourself about it, to say, hey, this is what's happening right now. Here's what I need to do to improve this situation.
1: Okay. Understood. So that's the acceptance piece. Now, when it comes to cultivating presence, yeah, I think that just about all of us are feeling it in terms of in ourselves and in others. Folks don't seem as present. There's there's a boatload of distractions and we can wax poetically about the doubling of information and omnipresent devices and social media,
0: yada, yada. But what are the best ways to get more present? All right, so here we go. There's a study that I profile in the book by some researchers from Harvard. And they very ironically had people download an app on their phones and that allowed the researchers to ping them throughout the day. And what the researchers found is that, and, and excuse me, they pinged them and then asked them what they were doing in their level of concentration and their level of happiness. And what the researchers found is it wasn't so much the activity that someone was doing, that made them happy or not, it was their level of presence. So if someone was fixing their car or mowing their lawn, but reported being quite present while they were doing it versus someone that might've been having sex, but not present, the person that was mowing the lawn actually reports being happier in that moment. So we often think that we need to be doing the right activity to be fulfilled, to be happy, but often we actually just need to be present for what's in front of us. So then the question, of course, becomes, well, how do you cultivate presence? And I like to use an analogy of brown rice and M&Ms. All right. So if you're ever faced with a bowl of brown rice and a bowl of M&Ms and you're quite hungry, if you're anything like me and like just about everyone I've ever asked this question to, you're going to go for the M&Ms, especially if they're peanut M&Ms. Hmm. And the M&Ms are always going to taste really good on that first bite much better than the brown rice. 10 minutes later, if you've just been eating M&Ms, it still might be pretty good. You might be happy with your decision. But if you choose M&Ms for hours, days, weeks, months, eventually you're going to start to feel gross and sick. And M&Ms are like all the things that encroach upon our attention when we're doing stuff that matters. So the stuff that matters is the brown rice. Working on a big report, writing a book, creating a song, trying to do deep focus brainstorming with colleagues. That stuff's brown rice, M&Ms, social media, refreshing email, CNN.com, the list goes on and on. All those things feel better in the moment because we're getting some dopamine hit, some thrill, some excitement, but over time you get on this huge bender of distraction. So much like with real M&Ms, with distraction M&Ms, the best thing that you can do is try to keep them out of the house. So you design your environment to avoid distractions and then also have this mindset shift that realizes that, hey, the deep focus, fully present work that I'm doing might not feel is good at first, is engaging in distractions, but I know if I just stick with it, I'll feel much better. And then what happens is you get enough positive feedback and enough reinforcement that eventually you start to prefer brown rice to the M&Ms. You prefer presence to distraction because you know how much better it makes you feel.
1: Okay. Well, so, so that sounds sensible in terms of, yep, that checks out in terms of those being the consequences of going there. And so keep them out of the house is, is great. So just think about shaping your environment such that the the enticing distractions aren't as available. I guess what I'm finding in my own distracted life is a lot of the distractions that come from within. It's like, I'm really curious we got a lot of curiosity. It's a, it's a good for a podcaster. <laughs> so I got some curiosity. And so I'm, I'm doing something and I was like, well, I wonder about this. And so what am I, the personal practice I've, I've, it's really firing hard. I find my favorite notebook for this purpose. And I, and I write down, I am doing this. And then for all the distractions that pop up, it's like, okay, I'm very curious about that. I'm just going to write it down. It's there so I'm not going to forget about it. And then it's almost like, it feels like a workout in terms of, well, Hey, actually I, I got this from you. And it's, I think about it all the time, stress plus rest equals growth in terms of like, I'm focusing, I'm focusing, I am getting kind of tired and focusing and I'm getting all the more tempted, but I'm going to hold out for my 30, 60, 90 minutes, whatever. And it's like, ah, and so now I get, it's like the end of the workout. I get to, you know, have a beverage, get in a shower or whatever. So anyway, that's one thing I figured out, but. You got the book. Tell me. When distraction comes from within, how do you recommend we cultivate all the more presence?
0: So writing it down was the first thing I was going to say, and you beat me to it. So you're you're already on track, Pete. The only thing I'd add to what you say is when you write that thing down, you're actually offloading it from your brain. So not only do you give yourself permission to stop thinking about it, but you also don't have to worry about forgetting it. Because we wanna remember are really interesting insights and curious ideas. If someone like you, it's a creative, it's core to your work, to your identity. What you also just described is almost like a working meditation, right? So mindfulness meditation is the practice that always comes up with training presence. And why is that? Because meditation is doing exactly what you just said. Instead of paying attention to whatever you're working on, you're paying attention to your breath. You have thoughts and feelings that arise from within. They distract you. You notice them non-judgmentally, you say, oh, interesting distraction. Back to my breath. In your case, oh, interesting thought. I'm going to write it down. Back to what's in front of me. Practice that over and over again, and it should get much easier to pay attention. Something else that helps a lot here is to schedule blocks of deep focus work. So oftentimes what I find people will do is they'll say, oh, this sounds great. I'm going to have an entirely you know, deep focus present day. And Unless you are a motorcycle mechanic in a room with no digital devices at all, it is extremely hard for people in the 21st century to be distraction-free. And what ends up happening is you cave in. You check your email, you check your social media, blah, blah, blah. Then negative, you fail. So rather than try to avoid distractions all day, what I like to do and what I tell my clients to do, what I write about in the book, is just to schedule times for deep work for full present work, and then whatever happens, the rest of the day happens. If you schedule two 90-minute blocks to be present and direct your energy to something that really matters to you, only three hours, you would be amazed at how much you get done and how good you feel. I have some entrepreneur coaching clients who are in companies at a stage where there's a ton of operational work to do constant fire drills, keeping the doors open and closed is really hard work. And a common issue of it, they'll come to me is they feel empty at the end of the day. They feel like they didn't really accomplish anything. And for these really busy operators, even just one hour of deep focus work where they can take something that is at point A, exert energy and presence and get it to point B leaves them feeling so much more satiated at the end of the day. So that's why I think scheduling it can be really important I want to get in the weeds because I know that your audience tend to be business professionals that that really enjoy the concrete. In addition to scheduling deep focus work and fully present work, you want to know what you're doing ahead of time. Because if you don't, and that free hour or 90 minutes pops up on your calendar, you have a greater likelihood of filling it with email or with scrolling. Whereas if you know ahead of time that, hey, today during my deep focus work, I'm going to read Brad's book. Or I'm going to work on the PowerPoint deck for this client. Or I need to draft this memo. Or I really need to write these three important emails. Well, then you'll actually do that thing.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. And it's funny. I used to resist that in terms of, it's like, oh, but I don't know, something really important might come up. But, but I find that when I schedule the thing and then I, I say, okay, that's the thing, then, then I actually know, I, I can trust myself as like, well, no, Pete, that, that was the most important thing when you scheduled it. And now there is a thing that has greater impact. And it's not just urgent. It, has, it, it straight up has greater impact. That's true. And so then I can, in good conscience, say, well, this deep work time was scheduled for important thing A, but in the last four days, important thing B is now clearly way more important than important thing A. And so I'm going to do that instead. And, and I can do that as opposed to is like, well, no, I feel like, you know, catching up on the news instead. I mean, I, it, it's a different substitution and, and I know it.
0: But you're pausing and you're deliberately making that decision. Yeah. And I would argue that that's the value of the pause. And and the pushback is always to my coaching clients, is it really more important or impactful? Or is it just something that you happen to be more excited about now? Because I'm not saying this is happening with you, but what can happen in really high achieving professionals is that, the long projects where you don't see immediate results that take a lot of time tend to not get worked on for that very reason.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yes. And so I think it's so great to have some clear metrics. And so for business, I think about expected profit created per hour invested or wealth generated if if we're going broader in terms of thinking, I really do need to get a financial planner. <laughs>
0: And then I would also say back to measuring what what actually matters is is some level of fulfillment. And if you spend an hour doing X or an hour doing Y, there's also a question of, hey, like when you get home and you're with your partner or you're with your kids, what's going to make you feel like you're satiated and like you had a good day at work? And something that I talk a lot about in the book is so many people that are frenetic and all over the place and don't own their energy and attention They come home from work and they're super short with like their kids or their spouse Mm -hmm. and they don't know why. And it's because they feel like guilty that they weren't productive during the day and they were pushed and pulled and they had no time. And now I'm at home and now I can't even own my time because my partner needs it and my kid needs it. Whereas if you just set aside an hour to do something important that fills up your cup, the rest of the day you can release from that need. And ideally you go from an hour to an hour and a half to two to three to four And some people can do five hours of deep work in a day. They have the capacity to do it and they have a job that lets them.
1: Mm -hmm. That's cool. Well, so let's talk about fulfillment in terms of values, clarity. What do you really want? What's your top perspectives in terms of arriving at that clarity of of determining the answers
0: to that and and what one's values truly are? Mm -hmm. So fulfillment is an inside game. That's the first thing. There's a concept in the book that I write about called the arrival fallacy, which basically says that so many individuals will say, I'll just be content. I'll just be fulfilled. I'll just be happy when I get X, Y, Z, that promotion, that car, that beautiful partner. My book sells this many copies. My podcast is number one in its category, blah, blah, blah. And It's a fallacy because we never really arrive. The goalpost is always 10 yards down the field. Oh, your podcast is number one in personal growth or in learning? Well, why isn't it number one overall? Your book sold 1,000 copies. Why not two? You got promoted to VP. Well, now I want to be the CEO. You never really arrive. So you cannot find fulfillment from chasing something outside of yourself. And it's a very human thing to do.
1: Well, that is so true. When those numbers they they, they resonate, and that's sort of my joke. When whenever, whenever I I catch uh, a download milestone, it's like, "Ooh, I'm at 15 million downloads." But you know what? I'll truly be happy when I'm at 16 million downloads. It, it's just it, it's an absurdity, and I just check myself with that little joke every every time we we hit the next million.
0: And I catch myself. Doing the same thing. Like, none of this is bad. This is human nature. This is, you know, I write books for myself as much as anyone. So that's why the practice of groundedness is in the title, right? This stuff is an ongoing practice. So, yes, very human to catch yourself saying, if then, then I'll be content. Then I'll be able to just sit down in the easy chair and be happy. But that doesn't happen. Research shows it. All the ancient wisdom traditions point toward it. And stories of people like me and you say the same. So, Rather than try to achieve fulfillment externally, if you can shift the focus internally, then you have a much better chance of doing it. And this is where core values become so important and why they're such a big part of the book. So I think about core values as the qualities that you most want to embody that make you who you are. And if you're not sure of what those are, you look at people that you really respect and you say, what do I respect about this person? And it's rarely, oh, they sold 3 million books. It might be that they're a hard worker, or they're kind, or they're compassionate, or they're present. Those are core values. So I think it's good to come up with between three and five. You don't want to have a laundry list, because then you end up not really doing any. You don't want to just have one, because that's not very specific. Then for each value, again, things like creativity, family, reputation, grit, determination, persistence, love, kindness you want to individualize it and define it. So what does something as broad as love mean to you? What does reputation mean to you? What does grit mean to you? Then here's where the rubber really hits the road. For each of those things, in addition to a definition, you want to come up with three daily practices or weekly practices, monthly practices, where your day-to-day concrete actions align with those core values. And that way, Regardless of what's happening externally, if you can show up and live in alignment with your core values, then you can feel really good about yourself. Not just because you quote unquote, like succeeded at the game, but because again, these are the things that make you who you are, that you want to embody when you're living in alignment with those things, you tend to feel good. So an example of this is someone might have the core value love. Okay, well, this is super esoteric and let's say that they define love as caring deeply and paying close attention to people in pursuits that matter to me. Okay, that's getting a little bit better. Now let's get to daily practice. Well, one of those people in pursuits is my relationship with my partner. And this might mean that every night during dinner, I'm going to turn my phone off and put it in another room so I'll have a better chance of being present for her. Boom, that's a practice. It might mean That, hey, I'm a creative person, and when I write music, I want to bring all of my loving energy to that. So I'm going to schedule three by one hour blocks a week of distraction-free time to write music. Now you're practicing love. Let's say the core value is grit. The daily practice might be every time I am really tempted to stop something and quit what I'm doing, I'm going to say, what's the cost of just giving it 10 more days to play out and see if it can't work out? That's the practice that embodies grit. So you go from these very noble, high-level, lofty, ambitious qualities down to the minutia of day-to-day. And that is ultimately how you become more grounded and how you achieve fulfillment.
1: That's cool. That's cool. And I like that, that extra level of the practices.
0: I've heard people call it an internal dashboard.
1: Oh, I like it. Sounds good.
0: So it's like, Okay, if your end goal is profit, well, in a business sense, well, you have all these steps to execute on to get there. So here, if your end goal is groundedness or fulfillment, well, here are the three to five things that ladder up to it, and then here are the process measures that are going to get you there.
1: Well, and what I like so much is that you can, for better or for worse, I don't know, Brad, maybe you'll coach me. I really like feeling like a winner, and I really hate feeling like a loser. And so uh, there's a little bit of growth mindset, fixed mindset, precariousness there <laughs> associated with doing things that I'm not good at. I seem to have a heck of a time navigating the uh, medical landscape in the United States. <laughs> it's like, what? My appointment was canceled? Why? I didn't do that thing. Well, what? I'm, whatever. So that makes you feel like a loser.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so what's cool about this notion of the internal dashboard and fulfillment being an inside game is that you can be a winner no matter what the external results are. I got dozens of medical appointments canceled. It's like, but you know what? I I still nailed those daily practices associated with the values of of who I want to be. So, I'm probably not going to feel all that down about it. It's like, yeah, that's annoying. And that's a bummer. And I guess I'm going to have to do it again. But uh, hey, I- I'm being who I want to be. And-, and that's pretty awesome.
0: Yes, it's the ultimate F you to all the voices in your head <laughs> that are like, oh, you didn't do good enough. You're not enough. This isn't. And it gets back to what we're saying, right? Like, The more you practice those values, the actually the paradox is the better chance you'll have of conventional success. Because you'll be doing it for the right reasons from a place of strength and confidence. It also gets back to that, pre- that, that practice around presence and scheduling time for very focused presence. Because if you just say, I'm going to be present all the time, well, you're going to be a loser because you're a human being in the 21st century where distractions are everywhere. Whereas if you say, actually, just for three 90-minute blocks a week, I'm going to be present. Well, that's a game that you can win at. And winning feeling's good. So you win, then maybe you say four by 90 minutes and you keep the ball rolling. So, so much of this is shifting from the more traditional self-help hustle culture, crush it, be bulletproof, be great always, never be content, to more of a research-backed look that actually says, hey, like contentment and achievement go hand in hand. The more that you can live on your values, even if they have nothing to do with career success, the more successful you'll be in your career. hmm The less you need to buy something outside of yourself to feel good or to numb what's happening, the better you'll feel and the more effective you'll be in addressing whatever it is that's happening.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Well, Brad, tell me any other huge things you want to make sure we don't skip before we shift gears to hear about some of your favorite things.
0: Yeah, I think that we didn't talk as much about really at all about community. And I think that that's a really important practice as well. And I'll just say that what happens to just about everyone, myself included, is that we can get into a really good groove with whatever it is that we're working on. And when we're in those grooves, we want to be efficient. And it's so easy, easier than ever in today's day and age, to go from meeting up with friends in person to a Zoom, to go from a Zoom to a call, to go from a call to a text, to reschedule because I can just send you a new calendar link. And we tend to do all this stuff because it makes us, quote unquote, more efficient with what we're doing. And sure, day to day, like schlepping in the car to go meet up with your friends in person or joining an actual physical book club or going to the gym instead of working out at home, that takes time and it will make you less efficient. But when you look back over the course of a year or a decade or a lifetime, Those relationships and those communities that you've built and belong to, that's the stuff that gives your life meaning and that will help you find fulfillment. And when you're experiencing a bout of anxiety or depression, no amount of efficient work is going to help you get out of it, but your community will. Or if you crush it and you go from 15 million downloads to 40 million downloads, guess who's going to be there to be like, hey, Pete, don't get drunk off your own success your community. Yeah. So it's this thing that is so foundational to being grounded that so often gets overlooked when we're doing well, because it takes time and energy and effort, but it always pays back.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
0: You don't have to feel good to get going. You need to get going to give yourself a chance to feel good. And So often, people think that you need to be really motivated or inspired to get started. But then, good luck getting started because most people don't wake up super motivated and inspired every single day of their life. But if you can just get going on the stuff that matters to you, on the stuff that's in alignment with your values, often motivation and inspiration follows.
1: All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
0: So, I think from this book, certainly, and and maybe just now in my life, I find the convergence of ancient wisdom tradition thinking and modern science to be just absolutely fascinating. So, for instance, for this book, talking about deep presence and flow, being absorbed in something, losing your sense of self, egolessness, everything that the modern scientists describe about these great flow states that we chase, the Buddha described as nirvana, the Tao Te Ching described as the way. In the ancient Greeks, described as a So you could put like a scientific description of a flow state next to what the Buddha called nirvana, and they're the same thing. And I think that, particularly with more of these Eastern wisdom traditions, we're seeing so much modern science just empirically proving what these thinkers have been pointing to for thousands of years.
1: Uh-huh. And a favorite book?
0: I forgot what I said the last time I was on your show, so I don't want to repeat myself. I will say Middlemarch, which is a novel by George Eliot. It's a big book. It's like a doorstopper, probably about a thousand pages. But if you've got a month or two of your life where you really have good time to read and you just want to get completely lost in a story about a community and characters and people's struggles, I highly recommend it.
1: And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job.
0: It's going to sound crazy, but a barbell.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good
0: <laughs> So. I'm a writer and a coach. I use my brain to do my work, but my physical practice is just so integral to my being able to sit still, focus, think creatively, solve problems. So yeah, for me, it's probably a barbell. I'm not really any good at lifting weights, but I firmly believe that movement is a part of my job, even though I'm not a pro athlete.
1: And a favorite habit?
0: Reading. I mean, I just freaking love reading. I can never read enough. It's a big part of my life. It fuels my my own writing. And my wife is constantly probably like telling me to stop chattering about whatever book I'm reading, but I can't help myself.
1: (laughs) And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks They quote it back to you a lot?
0: Yeah, I think particularly amongst my coaching clients, it's just this this identification or language of heroic individualism right? So I need to be productive. I need to be efficient. I need to keep striving. If I just get this thing, then I'll finally be fulfilled. And realizing that that's not your fault. That doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't make you weak. That is just the water that we swim in in the 21st century here in America and the Western world. And realizing that that game is ultimately not going to lead to fulfillment. So kind of flipping it on its head and saying, hey, what are these principles that will lead to fulfillment? What are my values? How can I live them? how can I accept where I am? How can I be present? How can I be patient? And so on. So it's catching yourself playing the game. And I catch myself playing the game at least weekly. We all do realize when you're playing it and then try to go back to living in alignment with your values to being more grounded.
1: And if folks want to learn more, get in touch. Where would you point them?
0: Well, first thing I'd say is please consider the book. If you find this interesting, the book goes super deep into all of this. And my website is www.bradstahlberg.com, just like my name. And the only social media that I'm really active on is Twitter, where my handle is at B Stahlberg.
1: And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
0: I do. I think that it would be pretty simple. And it is to be honest with yourself right now, if you're listening and saying, Hey, How much am I playing like the game of heroic individualism? And if it feels like hardly at all, great. But if it feels like more than you'd like, try to identify some of your values that are the inside game, define what practices work in alignment with them, and then start building your life around those values. It can be very gradual. This is not about quitting your job. It's about still being awesome at your job but also making sure that you're doing it in a way where you're living in alignment with your values that will hopefully leave you not only a high performer, but also fulfilled.
1: All right, Brad, this has been a treat. Thank you. And good luck in all of your
0: groundedness. Yeah. Thank you, Pete. I hope you stay grounded as well.
1: I really love what Brad had to say about the internal dashboard and the specific actions associated with your values. And if you do those actions, By golly, you feel like a winner and I love feeling like a winner. And no matter what disappointing results may come in the course of that day, if you're sick, your car breaks down, (laughs) the meeting or the pitch doesn't go the way you want it to, you can still take solace saying, hey, you know what? My top values, I did the key actions associated with them. So in that sense, today was a victory and there's something special about that. So huge thanks to Brad for sharing his wisdom. And if you want to check out the show notes and the transcript of the links to items we've referenced, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP699. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com.